in my industry, there is a huge amount of competition out there. You know, I have to, you know, be an inspired leader to my clients. I have to, I have to prove to them that I'm competent. Welcome to Inspiring Leaders, the podcast that shares ideas, perspectives, and best practices from great leaders around the world to help you become a more inspired leader. Hello again, and welcome to the Inspiring Leaders Podcast. I'm your tour guide, Terry Lepovsky, and today we're talking about financial leadership. You know, they say that money doesn't buy happiness, but one thing's for sure, financial security can alleviate a lot of pain and discomfort. And having a solid financial plan can make a world of difference. Well, my guest today has made a long and very successful career helping people with planning and managing their financial world. He's a kingmaker due to his ability to navigate the world of finances, minimize risks, and maximize returns for his clients. He and his partner formed Howe and Gramlich Wealth Management in November 2000. The firm has since grown, and now they manage well over $100 million for over 500 families. They take an all-encompassing approach to wealth management, including risk management, investment management, tax, and estate planning. Today, I'm truly happy to reconnect with an old friend and respected financial management professional, a true financial ninja, Dave Gramlich. Dave, welcome to Inspiring Leaders. Thanks for having me, Terry. Hey, listen, before we get rolling, I've got a quick question for you, Dave. You know that this podcast's all about inspired leadership. So what leader has inspired you and why? I think it'd have to be Warren Buffett. Clearly one of the best investment managers in the world. Been doing what he's doing for well over 45 years now. And without any doubt throughout his entire career, nobody can question the fact that every move he made was in the best interests of his investors. Talk about a humble giant as well. Third or fourth wealthiest man in the world. And uh, I've been to his house in Omaha, Nebraska. It's a regular house in a regular neighborhood. And you wouldn't know it if you had a conversation with the guy that was wealthy at all. True, humble giant, eh? I like that. Yeah. Well, thanks. Uh, Listen, I know, well, you and I go back years, but often I find myself kind of reflecting back on our humble beginnings. And and I'm blown away with how you've created How and Gramlich Wealth Management and, and grown it into the successful story that it is today. And I also have to admit, I'm I'm also quite jealous that you get to live out there in Victoria, BC. That's got to be one of the best climates in North America, and it's absolutely beautiful beyond description. I came to Victoria to go to university. I didn't know there was a place in Canada you could play golf year-round, so when I found it, uh, I just stayed. Well, this is cool. I was going to get you to talk a little bit more about yourself and about your world with wealth management and how this has taken off for you. Well, um, I studied economics and mathematics in university. I always liked money. So I decided to go right into the money business after finishing my degree. Um, I did two years as an agent for a large U.S. company. And then uh, and then my career really blossomed when I went to work for a local credit union here in Victoria. I had 90 staff in the branch. And I set about to convince all these people that I was the financial leader. And in order to do that, uh, I slowly but surely over the course of about a year completed a comprehensive financial plan for every staff member in the branch. 
And I impressed these people so much that, uh, yeah, I became known as the go-to guy in the branch. So when people had money questions, investment questions, insurance questions, they sent them to me. And that allowed me to build my book of money that I managed there from, uh, from four or five million to 45 million in a short four year period. Wow. At which point I decided I didn't want to have, uh, my career, um, controlled by a large financial institution. I always knew I wanted to have my own company. I had a couple of guys that wanted to form that company with me. So in 2000, I, I stepped out, formed a company with two partners. We started with about 25 million in assets under management and we have slowly but steadily, you know, built that to well over a hundred million now. And, you know, our, our all encompassing approach is what really makes us different. Um, first thing that we do is, is, is comprehensive financial plans for all clients. And everybody professes to be in the financial planning business, but the truth of the matter is maybe one in 10 or one in 20 people that profess to be a financial planner actually prepare financial plans. And we don't just prepare plans, we prepare the best comprehensive plans that are out there. And for that reason, we've never had to advertise. I've never done any seminar sales or anything Wait else. Wait a minute, you've never advertised at all? Other than when I went out on my own and started my own company and I made sure my my photo uh, was in the newspaper for the first six months, so any clients that wanted to look me up would know where I'm at. Other than that, I've done no, no, no advertising whatsoever. It's all referrals. That's something right there. That's huge. And in fact, it got so uh, kink out of hand in about 2007 that I actually told all my clients that I didn't want any more clients. I told them that the firm was full. It was never my intention to stop the flow of new clients coming in, but what I wanted to do was just slow it down. And interestingly, what I did over the course of a year or two is went back to all my best clients and said, you know, that doesn't apply to you. A good referral from you will always be welcome at my desk. And for that reason, the, the flow of new clients at that point slowed down quite a bit because I wanted to, but the quality of the new clients went up about fourfold. Wow, that's cool. It was amazing. From you know an average of a hundred or one hundred fifty thousand dollars, which was a typical average client uh, of assets under management, it went to about a half a million instantly. So I was able to streamline my business, take on fewer clients, but take on a lot of bigger clients, and that's pretty much how it's gone ever since then. I guess this was a strategy of yours right from the start. You want to profess an image of you know exclusivity. You want people to believe that they're dealing with the top people and very few financial advisors reach out and tell their clients they're not taking any more referrals because they're busy enough and they want to focus on the best interests of their clients. Right. Most financial advisors spend half or two thirds of their time looking for new clients. I spend zero percent of my time looking for new clients because the clients find me. I spend all of my time taking care of my clients. <laughs> That's pretty significant right there. Yeah, it's been a good go. And um, I guess the only other thing about me is one of the things I'm most proud about is is uh, for the last, uh, well, about 13 years now, I've been one of the leaders in the local baseball community here in Victoria. My son played and I coached and I got involved with administration and eventually was a park president. And for the last three years, I've actually been the president of Greater Victoria Baseball, which is the largest uh, organization of its type in British Columbia, we are in fact 10% of BC's baseball players. And a lot of the work is during the day that I do at my office because it's a lot of admin, but it's a way to give back to the community. And I've always loved the game. And uh, 
it's very rewarding to me to see 1,500 kids out there playing baseball every year and to think that I had a, a big hand in it. Yeah, I'll bet, hey? Mm-hmm. So why don't we talk a little bit about your uh, some of the clients that you've worked with, and uh, you mentioned that you had a couple of good stories about these guys. One of the things that I think I am most proud of over the course of my career is that I've, I've never looked uh, uh, someone in the eye and said, you don't have enough money to deal with me. As you know, I'm from a humble middle class background, uh, and I'm comfortable working with people from all aspects of the socioeconomic spectrum. And I've never told somebody that uh, they don't have enough money. I have clients with as little as a few thousand dollars with me, and I have clients with multiple millions. And it's been interesting because in my industry, there's a push towards just focusing on the high net worth and forgetting about everybody else. And I've never had that approach, and I've never also fired a client. Lots of advisors in my business, usually on the advice of the big financial institution that's pulling the strings, basically lose, I guess you'd call it the bottom 20% of their client base every three or four years intentionally. They, they carve off the smaller accounts, give them to junior advisors and stuff, and then focus on trying to replicate their bigger accounts. I've never ever done that, and it's, and it's been very interesting because um, I've had some people with very humble financial affairs and all of a sudden have a heck of a lot of money. And when you take care of somebody when they got ten or twenty or fifty thousand dollars and you treat them very, very well, and all of a sudden they have a half a million or a million dollars, they're going to just come into your office and they're going to drop it on your desk. And that's happened to me on a number of occasions. So despite not discriminating against, you know, a wealth level in my in my business, I've managed to to, you know, build a big business with people from, you know, as I said, all areas of the socioeconomic spectrum. And one, one I'll, I'll keep the story short, but one very interesting story was a, a client of mine quite a while ago, back in 2000, actually, was a humble client of mine. And she was telling me about her poor mother and how she was just barely getting by and her house, the deck was falling off her house and the roof was leaking and she had no money and very low income. And, and I, I told her, well, why don't you bring your mom in and we'll have a look through her finances, see if there's anything we can do. Because she mentioned that she did have some shares and she did get some dividend checks. So I had this 85-year-old lady come into my office. And as I was going through some envelopes, literally 20 years from a shoebox worth of envelopes, um, I came across a couple of interesting things. I found her, her Royal Bank shares and I found her, um, her Bell Canada shares. And then I found a, a very big envelope that said Nortel Networks on it. You're kidding. Wow. And I found that this lady owned 1,500 shares of Nortel Networks, which at that point was trading at $123 a share. <laughs> wow. After punching it into my calculator three times to be sure, I looked across the desk at this lady and said, ma'am, this piece of paper is worth $186,000. And she threw her hands up in the air and she said, I'm rich. Oh my goodness. And this was about a week before the Nortel shares peaked at $124 and eventually went to zero. Right. If I hadn't helped that lady out, she perhaps would have never noticed that envelope and her shares would have ridden down to zero. As it was, we cashed them in that very same day. 
She fixed her roof. She built herself a new deck. She took her whole family on a trip to, to England, and then she gave me $100,000 to invest for her. <laughs> that is the coolest story. You know, I've heard stories the other end where everybody says they had these shares and hung on to them too long. I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've heard about somebody that sold them at the right time. Well, the timing was just unbelievable to, to find that share certificate when that stock had taken off so much and be able to liquidate it within a dollar of its peak value. I mean, it was down to 30 bucks a share less than six months later. Yeah, yeah that was pretty amazing. I, I tell that story to a lot of people who say, you know, well, I don't think I need any planning. I have no money. You know, uh, it was it was very uplifting. Yeah, yeah. And it's also good to find something that somebody didn't realize they had, eh? Exactly. You know, the financial press these days, it's very negative. And I often read articles in the newspaper from people about the state of the world of finance of Canadians and retirees and stuff. And it's overwhelmingly negative. And it's amazing how many times I have people sit down at my desk that have, you know, very negative thoughts about their retirement aspirations. And when you connect all the dots and include all the pensions they have and their investments, Quite often you tell people you're on track to retire and it's going to be easy. And in fact, you could retire earlier than you think. And they're just, they're blown away by this because they've been convinced over the years from their readings and discussions with people that you have to have millions of dollars to be able to retire. Well, for most people, that's just not the truth. We've got a, a good social safety net in Canada with CPP and OAS. Most people have a pension through their job, or a lot do anyways, and save a few bucks. I mean, I've had people that started with zero dollars at the age of 50, and we've got them fully retired, comfortably retired at 65. You're kidding. Wow. No, that's great. I, I love that. That's uh, incredible. That's inspiring right there. Well, I've, I've got a cartoon on my desk here that I show to people just to break the ice often when we're talking about retirement planning. And it's got a, a fellow sitting at the desk of a financial advisor. And he looks across at the financial advisor and says, I'm retiring on Friday and I haven't saved a dime. Here's your chance to become a legend. <laughs> and is that your inspiration to become that legend? Well, I, I guess so. Uh, you know, I just want to help out. I think for that 85-year-old lady, I think you are. Yeah, and there's, you know, there's been a lot of other situations over the years where just, you know, prying into someone's affairs, you know, obviously with their approval and digging through the complexities of, of their life and their investments and their finances and stuff. You know, you can often solve problems just by organization and planning without, you don't actually have to build anything, just plan it out, connect all the dots, put it together. And a lot of people can, can be successful financially, even though they don't think they can be. You can invest in some of this stuff and, and then it's like a piece of paper that sits in a filing cabinet somewhere for years and you move and the kids grow and you change occupations and a bunch of years go by and then you remember this piece of paper sitting there. And it, I think it's one of those things that's out of sight, out of mind a little bit. Sometimes it can be and it should be. I mean, uh, if your financial affairs are set up right and you're in their saving mode, you should be putting that money away and completely forgetting about it until you retire. It's when people start tapping into their retirement savings to do things like, well, buy cars and take trips and pay off debts and stuff when it, it doesn't work out. And that's why, you know, when you have a financial plan and it's something that all my clients have and we stick to it, 
And, you know, you tell people, listen, if we can make these returns and you can save this amount of money, you can be comfortably retired at this age. If you give these people a plan and tell them that, uh, it's surprising how many people can discipline themselves into the savings that they need and, and not tapping into the, to, to their accumulations over the years. Well, you know, you're reminding me of something that I, I hear often, and that is uh, that old saying, hope is not a strategy. <laughs> right. So once you've got a plan, then uh, then it makes it a lot easier to follow along with it and keep it going. It certainly does. And that has been if there's one thing in my in my career that is, is has led to my success more than anything else. It's the fact that all my clients have comprehensive financial plans in their file. And for that reason, I essentially never lose clients because people can see the BS if if they're being courted by someone else and being shown investments by someone else and you know they're trying to move their business over my clients are smart enough to be able to see through the the noise and see what's really you know trying to be sold to them and for that reason I've been very fortunate and haven't had to really lose any clients except to mortality over the years so if we look down the road, we look uh, several years out, where are you going? Are you, uh, you going to stay the course on this for yourself? Are you growing anymore? Are you going to be expanding or are you locked down with the clients that you've got? You know what? I've, I've, I've reached a level of success much greater than I ever thought I would. I'm comfortably financially. Uh, I make plenty of income. I really enjoy what I do just turned 50 years of age. And so my plan is to continue doing what I do for 10 years full time. And then I want to go maybe three days a week from 60 to 65. And then I, I'd like to actually hand my business off to my son who uh, is just finishing high school this year and has expressed an interest in, in the wealth management business. I've told him that uh, if he comes into business with me, it's guaranteed prosperity. And there's not a lot of places you can go to get guaranteed prosperity in this world. Um, so really I, I'm going to slow down taking, uh, on new clients. I'm going to be a little more picky, I think about my new clients, um, because I'm kind of running at capacity. Although, um, my volunteer work with the local baseball community is going to come to an end in November of this year. I've decided it's, it's time to cut the cord completely. And my golf course actually wants me to be on their board of directors. So that'll actually free up quite a bit of time for me during my days. I want to, I've been asked to uh, teach some courses uh, up at uh, the University of Victoria and for the local financial advisors association, they're, uh, they're usually needing uh, instructors and I haven't done this yet, but I'm going to do some of that and um, yeah, focus on my, my, my family and, uh, and my golf game. Well, maybe one other thing I can add to your plate in the future is help us figure out a better way for some of the leaders out there that are listening to us today. I got two questions for you in that regard. Sure. The first is, what challenges do you see facing a lot of the leaders out there today? I, I can't speak for, for most industries. And um, I, I can tell you, though, that in, in my industry, the biggest challenge facing us is regulation. The financial services industry in, in Canada has been under the microscope for a long time. The fees, you know, that are paid to investment management, investment managers and advisors in, in Canada has been too high. We've had some of the highest cost investment management products in the whole world. The costs are coming down and the regulators are forcing those costs down and they're changing how we do business. You know, 10 years ago, I might have spent two hours a week on compliance. 
And now I spend probably three hours a day on compliance, which is just dotting I's and crossing T's and following regulations. And it's, it's changed and it's going to change a whole bunch more because the Ontario Securities Commission has got some plans to change the landscape even more. So my, my business is, is kind of hit, hit the size now that I'm, I'm perfectly happy with it. I don't need to grow anymore. Uh, more than anything else, I want to focus the next 10 or 15 years to being you know, the financial leader for my clients that I have been for a long time and uh, lowering my clients' costs and streamlining operations and providing even more peace of mind than I have already. You know, once you've, once you've received, achieved a certain level of success, you're kind of not so worried about growth anymore. You just want to preserve what you have. And with personally over $75 million under management, I have a big responsibility. And that's the biggest uh, concern in the future is just shepherding my clients and providing financial leadership with them as they age and and uh, and having a lot of fun doing it too. I love what I do. Okay, so here's my last question for you then, Dave. What does inspired leadership mean to you? Being extremely motivated and interested in what you do and doing what you do better than anyone else. In my industry, there is a huge amount of competition out there. There's financial advisors everywhere. So you know, I have to, you know, be an inspired leader to my clients. I have to, I have to prove to them that I'm competent, that I have a responsibility, that my interests lie where they are. Um, one of the big changes coming to our industry is, is the change to a fiduciary model like accountants and lawyers work on where they are required essentially by law to always act in their client's best interests. And that hasn't been the rule of law in our industry before. All we had to do was act suitably. We've always held ourselves out at my firm as fiduciaries. It's right in our brochure, in fact. Uh, we use that word, and we've always told people that we will act in your best interest. So it's going to be forced on our industry, but we've already been, we've already been doing it. So that shouldn't be too much of a change for us. You're looking through the lens of, uh, of wealth management and financial planning, but I think a lot of what you've just described is uh, easily translated into almost any industry and for almost any leader out there. So for that, I want to thank you. For your time today, I want to thank you. It's really good to reconnect with you again, Dave. And again, I'm, I'm really proud of what you've accomplished over the years. Good to see. It's good to see your success. So thanks again for being part of the Inspiring Leaders podcast and for sharing your perspectives and experience. That was fabulous. Thanks for having me, Terry. It's good to talk to you again, buddy. I look forward to seeing you when I'm out in your neck of the woods next year. Thanks again for being part of our quest to make inspired leadership ubiquitous. Wherever you are, we hope that we've helped to inspire you and that you'll pay it forward by inspiring others. And just a reminder to support us on iTunes, Google, and Stitcher with your ratings and comments. Your support makes a big difference, and we sure do appreciate it. Until next time, take care, everybody. Bye for now.